Welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to coppreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I'm going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow coppreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome back to another episode of the Coppreneur Path podcast sponsored by Eliotoceo.com. Today I'm here again with my co-host Austin Mulsic. Austin, hey, what's going on? I'm just laughing a little bit at the I'm here again with my co-host. Hey, you know what though? I didn't even get a chance to tell you this, but I got a ton of feedback on our episode that we did about online courses. I had several people reach out and said that that episode was awesome and that they really enjoyed the conversation between you and I. And so I guess we're going to, we're going to do this some more and here we are again. I'm good with that. We'll keep it going. Yeah. Hey, I was, I was thinking this morning, I was curious, what is your favorite fast food restaurant? Uh, That's going to have to be either Arby's just because my grandpa got me hooked on it when I was little or the steak burger place called Freddy's that does. Oh yeah. It's yeah. steak burgers Freddy's, and it's Freddy's is pretty good. And, I do like Freddy's. Yeah. Can't argue with Freddy's. Well, I don't, I don't want to be like, what's your, what's your reasoning for, for that? Like, well, is it the food or is it something else for, for which one Arby's uh, either one of them? I'd say it's a nostalgia thing. Clear back in the day when I was doing T-ball, we would go around and as part of the fundraising thing, we would sell the little coupon books and we always sold Arby's coupons and grandpa always bought them. And I didn't learn or didn't figure it out. Grandmas and grandpas are good for always buying stuff you're peddling, aren't they? Yeah, they are. I didn't figure it out until probably 10 years later. I was just thinking about it and I was like, grandpa didn't even have an Arby's. He just did it just to be awesome. But that was apparently his favorite place, and so that kind of rubbed off on me, and that became my favorite place because, I mean, I like roast beef sandwiches, and it makes me think of Grandpa. Uh, Freddy's is because steak burgers are awesome, and custard is even better, and they just stand out because they're different. What what, what makes them different? I'd say the easiest way that they're different is uh, they're fast. And not like fast food fast, like they're quick. It's kind of like a Chick-fil-A thing where you get the sense that they care and that there's people who are there that actually want to do their jobs because, you know, we call it fast food, but how many times have you spent way longer than you ever wanted to in a drive through and there's only two people working inside and you're like, guys, come on, like it's three cheeseburgers and some fries. Like you shouldn't even have to cook this. You should just grab it off the rack and go. But yeah, Chick-fil-A and Freddy's, I think, have both been the fastest, as in, like, your food is actually fresh, it's actually cooked right then and there, and uh, it's either brought to you or, uh, you know, brought to the counter by people who actually seem like they're enthusiastic about being there. See, that's that's just it, and I don't want to be cliche here, but I got to say, Chick-fil-A is my absolute favorite restaurant. 
And, and there's a number of reasons for me, but part of it is like, I just, I love their chicken. Like the chicken, their chicken there is so good. And it doesn't matter whether you get the chicken sandwich. It doesn't matter whether you get chicken tenders. It doesn't matter whether you get them breaded or grilled, right? Cause some places you go to, it's like the chicken's only good. If you get the breaded chicken, if you get the grilled chicken, you're like, yeah, it's gross, right? Their grilled chicken is amazing. It's like little, little juicy, tender baby angels. Like it's amazing. And I, I just love chicken. Every the way I eat my Chick Fil A, every bite has to be thoroughly covered in that golden, delicious liquid joy that they call Chick Fil A sauce. And like, I, I just love Chick Fil A. But like you said, I think part of what makes it the best, like what makes it my go to every time. Although I like Taco Bell sometimes too. But anyway. Uh, we're not talking about Taco Bell. We're talking about Chick-fil-A right now. What makes it my go-to is the experience that I have when I go there. And it doesn't matter whether you go in the restaurant or you go through the drive-thru. Like you said, like, I mean, some of these Chick-fil-A's I've been to have like four drive-thru lanes running simultaneously. And they've got people out there, you know, that'll come right up to your window and take your order. And everybody, like you said acts like they want to be there, like they enjoy their job. They genuinely want you to have a good experience from the moment you arrive through the entire process, from the moment you leave and get to eat your food, right? Mm -hmm. um, you go to like McDonald's or any of those other places, it's almost inevitable that you're going to take forever in the drive-thru. And by the time you get through it, you're going to open up your bag and you're going to look and you're going to go, crap, they shorted me on something, mm -hmm. right? Almost every time. I have only, and I've been to Chick-fil-A a lot, okay? I'm just going to admit it right now. Out of all those experiences, I mean, probably at this point, it's been hundreds of times I've been to Chick-fil-A <laughs> over over like the last 10 years, and probably more. I'm probably underestimating. But out of all those times, only one time, one time did I ever get shorted anything. And you know what they did in response? Hmm. Take a guess. Oh, they probably doubled it up and told you to keep it essentially right so they they not only rectified it and gave me what i asked for or paid for in the first place but they also gave me a like coupon card to get a free sandwich the next time i came and i'm like huh that's cool you know like mcdonald's they just kind of throw a cheeseburger in your face and tell you to go away and you know mm -hmm. whatever right so it's really the experience is what sets them apart in my mind from every other fast food restaurant that there is. You know, I can, I can speak to that too. I don't know if anybody's ever been Fort Collins, but there's a Chick-fil-A there that is right at the intersection of Horsetooth and college. And it's in this little kind of mini mall type of center. And if you go there you know, outside of the lunch rush, you'll be kind of confused because they have cones all over the parking lot. And you're like, well, what is Chick-fil-A doing? Like who grabbed this? You know, do I need to take it back to the restaurant? If you go there during the lunch rush, it makes sense because they snake their line all the way through that parking lot and around the block. And uh, yep. I have gone to Chick-fil-A's before and seen that the line wraps around the block and thought to myself, oh, good. I have time. Like this is a viable yeah. option. <laughs> 
because yeah, it's kind of a bit of a paradigm shift, right? Yeah, because it, <laughs> it doesn't matter if it wraps clear around the block and you, you know, you have to park three businesses down to get into the line within yeah, five minutes, minutes or less, five minutes, yeah. there's going to be somebody at your window with an iPad saying, Hey, what can we do for you? And if you don't know mm-hmm. what you want, they'll help you with it. And they ask you if you want sauces. Nobody else does that. Like you have to ask and, you know, they give, anyway, we could go on for, for a while. Right. Um, did you know, by the way, they started, they just recently started their own delivery service. No, I didn't think yeah, they could so get they, better. They got sick of paying the fees for like Uber Eats and Dine Dash and all those th- that, that, up, you know, like they, they charge them a fee and uh, they got tired of paying those fees and they started their own delivery service. So anyway, but that's, we didn't obviously jump on this podcast and start recording to just talk about Chick-fil-A and Freddy's and Arby's and fast food restaurants. The point that we were were trying to make here, we wanted to talk about the importance of customer experience, right? In, in your business. And I get asked a lot, like part of what brings this up, I get asked a lot from different copreneurs that listen to the show or a part of the LEO to CEO community, they ask me, they're like, well, how do I differentiate myself? Because there's other people that are doing the same thing. And so there's almost like this defeatist, I give up attitude of, well, I can't possibly compete because somebody else is doing the same thing. And maybe they even started doing it before I did. And my response to that is, well, it doesn't matter if you're doing the same thing. It matters how you do the same thing. And that the experience that you generate, that's what people come back for. That's what people rave and rant about and are willing to tell other people about. And that's what people are willing to pay more money for, right? Even if the end result is essentially the same thing, you're solving the same problem and giving them the same essentially outcome. They want to pay for the experience. I can't disagree with that. And I think that especially the mental game is, is something that just needs to be thrown out the window completely. I'm trying to remember who said it and when he said it, but there was a guy that worked for U.S. Patent Office late 1800s, early 1900s that proudly declared his job was obsolete. The patent office no longer needed to exist. Everything that could possibly have been invented had already been invented. <laughs> and uh right. well yeah you can see where that's going um one of the things that jumps out at me uh as you were talking about that was holsters every cop has a holster i know a cop who makes holsters uh custom leather working that he says every cop has a holster drawer of you know this is my on duty this is my off duty this is my court holster this is my special assignment this is this one didn't work, but I keep it anyway. It's this true. is a spare. And I'm like, I have so many that they don't even fit in my drawer anymore. Yeah. And I do the same thing with mag pouches where I'm going through and I'm like unpacking and I'm like, why is there more gun stuff in here? And not affiliated, but Lucas Botkin of T-Rex Arms has got to be head and shoulders above anybody else that I have ever seen that does holster stuff. Um, That's kind of funny, dude. I'm sorry, but T-Rex Arms can't really be head and shoulders above. You got to get, it was a really dry, <laughs> corny dad joke, but okay. you got to give him a break. He's a small arms dealer. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Continue, continue on so, enough, enough of this shenanigan, 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 yeah. 
shenanigans. Okay. Yeah. You find that in the dictionary while I'm talking and uh, we can come back to that one. All right. Uh, Anyway, so what Lucas does is he makes Kydex holsters and he doesn't do custom options. Uh, He just says, here are my offerings. Take your pick. And the only customization that you get is you can choose the color of your Kydex. You can choose left or right handed and you can choose how high the sweat guard goes. What sets him apart, though, is he decided very early on that if he's going to know what makes a good holster, he needs to be very well versed in using them. And he needs to be very experienced with firearms. Uh, to the point that he has never been law enforcement, he has never been military, but he is actually training some of our special forces guys. People call him the aimbot because he has drills that he will go through and just insanely quickly and insanely accurately just put down rounds on multiple targets. And you need to go check him out and see what he's doing. This is basically a gigantic lead generator for his holster company. As he goes through and he says, hey, this is what's going on. Here's how to improve your shooting and the experience. He can come across kind of a little bit of a know-it-all at some point. But the guy's been shooting one to 2,000 rounds a week every single week for probably eight years now. So he definitely knows what he's talking about. And on his channel, he goes through and he just gives tips. And he says, this is how you can make your draw faster. This is how you can make your reloads faster. This is how you can cut down your split time. This is how you can, you know, solve this problem. This is how you can cover and move. And he's doing all this and just handing it out and saying, hey, this is what you need to be doing. If you're having a problem in this area, here you go. Give it over here. And the experience. So it's more than just a holster. It's way more than just a holster. This guy has probably degrees worth of knowledge that he just gives out. And the whole thing is he agrees. Everybody who is using guns needs to be able to use them effectively and needs to have the right tools to do that. And so his big passion is understanding why you need to be doing things a certain way or why you need certain features rather than like Uncle Mike's, hey, 20 bucks, it'll fit pretty much everything. And that's all it does. See, the cool thing about this is, though, what you just described that he's doing, that all makes up together collectively is what we would call your USP, your unique selling proposition, right? So understanding what differentiates you from the rest of the pack. And so his unique selling proposition is it's not just a holster. It's a holster that you can use to be better at shooting, right? And and we're going to give you the the actual resources and the training and the knowledge and know-how in order to actually improve your skills to take advantage of this awesome holster that you just bought, right? That's That's the unique selling proposition. That's what makes it different. And so the way I want to relate that is, again, lots of our audience are law enforcement instructors. And a lot of them, they're the ones usually that bring this to me. They'll say, well, but there's our, there's this other guy who's doing firearms instruction in my area. And we're just, we're, we're, we're just selling the same thing. And I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Like what's different about your process? What, what's different about your methodology? What do you, what do you do that's unique? Because those things combined make up your unique selling proposition. And I want to say that the most important thing I think people need to understand is the difference between customer service and customer experience. So pop quiz, Austin, what would you say 
what would you say is the difference? How would you define the difference between customer service and customer experience? All right. So Adam, that's kind of a, a trick question there, I guess. And I would come back to you with one. Is there a difference between fair and equal? A difference because between fair and equal. Wow. Yeah. You're getting are real fair and now, equal yeah. the same thing or, or no, are they different not at all? Because they're, they're absolutely different. Okay. So customer service and customer experience are two different things, right? If I have a bad experience, customer service might be able to make up for it. But if I have a great experience, I'm already going to think that that's customer service. And so I think the easiest thing to do is just make sure that they have a good experience the first time, because that's not really customer service in the sense that we think of it. And, uh, kind of going with the, you know, make a strong first impression. If I go through and I try out a new product or I try out a new service and I've got real high expectations from what I've seen on the sales page of the site or what I've read in reviews and I go through and it just kind of falls flat for me. Or maybe I've got somebody who's really rude on the other side. Like if we go back to holsters, if I go in and I need something custom made for my FN and the guy's like, well, you're wrong because you don't have a Glock. That's not a good experience and that's not good service. And so they might be able to make it right with better customer service, but the experience has already kind of been set. And that kind of sets the tone for the whole relationship moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good explanation. I, I would probably I would probably define it uh, quite simply as customer service is reactive, customer experience is proactive, right? So customer service is recognizing that sometimes things might go wrong, right? The customer journey might not go as expected and customer service is there to address anything that might go wrong and respond to it in an inappropriate way. But customer experience is proactively identifying where those pinch points might be and not only just trying to mitigate them, but actually flip it around and turn that negative thing into a positive, like try to rectify it. I, I don't know. I, I should have come up with analogy for this uh, in advance and I didn't, but taking that thing that's negative and just saying, okay, I recognize that this might be a failing point. So what I'm going to do is put this thing into place to make sure that doesn't happen. And not only is it not going to, not only is it going to help me ensure that that issue doesn't occur, but it's also going to, we're going to go above and beyond. So maybe we can, maybe we can try to use, oh, Chick-fil-A for an example, right? Okay. So let's start with the McDonald's experience. So the McDonald's experience, I think they're up to like in some of their newer ones, two lanes at the drive through now, right? But it's still the same number of staff that <laughs> that would run that would run one which just doesn't make any sense to me but anyway so they're they're customer service driven right so they're looking at it and they're going yeah there might be a problem here where somebody sits in the drive through for 30 minutes and if they do we'll throw a cheeseburger in their face and say sorry i don't care if you come back or not okay uh, <laughs> that's their that's their customer service but chick-fil-a looks at it and says hey this could be a problem this could be a pinch point. We don't want people getting stuck on our drive-through. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to put up cones and we're going to make five lanes of of drive-through and we're going to like we're going to triple the the staff that we have during our 
our high traffic hours and we're going to put people out there with little handheld devices to take their orders right at their windows. And we're going to have a separate station that they stop at to get all their condiments and everything. And we're going to have like five people standing outside by the window, actually giving the, the orders to the people. And right. So like they not only recognized that there was a pinch point and knew that there was potentially going to need to be a way to respond to it if it happened, but they actually went above and beyond to ensure that they took measures that it didn't happen and it actually made for a great customer experience where there could have been a poor one. So that to me is the difference between customer service and customer experience. Hey, it's Adam here just jumping in for a quick break. The journey from cop to copreneur can be challenging. Isolation, after all, is the enemy of success. You need fellow copreneurs in your corner to share resources, ideas, challenges, and wins with. You need ongoing support and training in a safe and private environment. That is exactly what the LEO to CEO community is all about. Join now for free by going to leo2ceo.com and clicking on the green button, and I'll see you at our next live workshop. Now back to the show. What would you say, Austin? Like, um, let's let's maybe give everybody some thoughts on because this is something you and I have been talking about um, a bit here recently. Is the customer journey with StoryWeb Creative and Elliot, the CEO, and Reacher CRM? And so, how how do we take steps to become more customer experience driven? I'd say the first thing that you need to do is just be genuine. Because especially in the law enforcement world, right? Everybody's looking for a liar. Everybody assumes that everybody is one right off the bat. Just be genuine. Flute? Don't don't try to be Flute? something that you're not. Liar? <laughs> oh no, L I A R. Sorry. Oh, another yeah. cor- another corny bad <laughs> joke. Sorry. Ah. <laughs> um, just especially while you're going out and while you're starting out and while you're small, getting ready to scale. Uh, If you don't know something, don't be afraid to admit that that's the first time you've come across that or, you know, use that as inspiration. Um, I've got a client right now with Breacher that consistently, it seems like every time I talk to them, they come up with some very unique, very specific thing that they're like, hey, can we do this? And like, you know, I've brainstormed everything, but I never thought that where you were able to toggle bold font on and off would ever be an issue. Uh, and so every time I just tell them, look, you're the first ones ever thought of this. Like, I'll, I'll get back to you on that and see what we can do. And then kind of to circle back again, not affiliated, but be like Lucas, go through and just imagine what your customer is going to do from their perspective and try not to be too close to it. Right. This is why uh, when we write search warrants or when we write a warrantless affidavit, that we go and we give it to the sergeant. It's not because we don't know what we're doing. It's because we're too close to it. And uh, sometimes you might forget to put in some very important things. Like there was one time I tried to submit a search warrant and I didn't have my elements in there to uh, explain the nexus between the thing I was looking for and the place to be searched. (laughs) And I read it three times and thought, yeah, this is great. My sergeant kicked it right back to me in about three minutes. And I was like, what's up? Um, 
So just make sure that you take a step back and that you're not too close to it. And uh, just pretend that all you know about it is either what you've been told from talking to your company or from what's on the website or from what the reviews say, and then go from there. And then, the th- and then think about the Marines. If you're going to give it to the Marines, what would they do? How would they break it first? You know, how would they lose it? And just kind of go from there as to which areas you need to figure it out, right? If I'm making a holster company and I don't even know how guns function, I'm probably not going to make very good holsters. But if I go out and I'm spending eight hours a week on the range and running and gunning and rolling around in the dirt and trying all this stuff out, I'm going to start finding pain points. Hey, it should do this. It, it needs to do that. Do the same thing with whatever it is that you've got going. If you're an instructor, think about it from the perspective of somebody. Um, you remember the Four Dummies series, all the books that came out? Yep. Sailing oh, yeah. for Dummies, Canning and Preserving for Dummies, you know, the whole series. Do, do a Four Dummies version of whatever it is that you've got and think about it. Break it down just Barney style. If somebody came to you and knew absolutely nothing, how would you make sure that they were a pro at it by the time you were done? Yeah, I love that you point out the the need to kind of step outside of your own perspective on things. I often refer to that as the, the curse of knowledge, right? I mean, every single business over has the curse of knowledge. And usually I touch on that as uh, from the marketing perspective, but this totally applies too. And so not only do you need to consciously step outside of your own perspective of your business and what you think the customer journey is, but maybe you need to seek some external input as well. And so this is actually, this is something that Austin and I have been working on here a bit recently and, and need to dive even deeper into and, and, and really map out. But we've been talking a lot about the customer journey and creating a customer journey timeline and trying to understand exactly what that looks like. And I mean, literally actually plugging this into a spreadsheet and saying, here's what happens day zero right? Starting from day zero is like when they, you know, opt in for something or whatever the first stage of your customer interaction may be for your business, that's day zero. And then marking out what that timeline looks like day one, day two, the first year is the most important. And you almost want to break down um, the first, the first week or two into individual days. And then from there, you can kind of skip out like three months, six months, nine months, a year, and then two years and three years, right? And you want to look at what does that customer journey look like throughout the process? Like what's happening at each one of those phases? Where might their mindset be at that time? What problem might they be facing at that time? And what can you do to respond to it? And then using that customer that customer journey, you can start to create both an automated and manual follow-up process where you can follow up with them at each one of those very important phases in the customer journey with a text message, an email, a voicemail, or, you know, an actual manual phone call, you know, a reminder in your, your, whatever CRM system you use that would say, Hey, you need to call so-and-so because today is their one year anniversary with you and you, you need to check in. So, I mean, this concept applies guys. If you're selling a product, maybe that product is even like a subscription to an app or something. And it's not just 
Hey, I signed them on and now they're buying and I'll check in with them in a year when it's time for them to renew their subscription. Okay. There's, there's other phases along the way where they need guidance. They need feedback. They need, they need some handholding, some encouragement, right? To be successful in using your product and seeing the best results out of it. The same goes like if you're teaching classes, if you're a law enforcement instructor, it's not just about them buying a seat in your course and getting certified, right? I mean, you need to walk along that process with them. How are they doing after the class? What resources do they need after? What sort of things do they need from you? Maybe even it's an automated uh, response uh, a year or two down the road when it's ready for them to recertify so that uh, you don't you know, forget to encourage them to do that, right? So, I mean, there's all these things in the customer journey that are really important. I don't disagree with any of that. And uh, I, I think the biggest thing that I want to circle back to, as you were saying on that, you know, a good place to put in milestones as I'm saying, you know, the, the four dummies series, it takes a lot of knowledge to write a book for dummies. It, it takes a lot of knowledge to launch a business, to teach a class, to do whatever it is. And uh, at the same time, just to make sure that I'm not sounding like I'm contradicting myself, there is a ton of knowledge that goes into writing a book for dummies. And I'm not saying that you need to throw any of that away. Just maybe you don't need to pass off all of that knowledge all at the same time, right? I don't pay my butcher purely to cut my steaks. I pay my butcher to know where those steaks are, to know how to cut them, to know how to trim them so that I'm getting as much steak as I can. And that's going to come with about 5, 10, 15 years of cutting steaks every day so that he can go in and make it look like a 30-second process. That, yeah. That's what we need to be doing here. We need to be able to boil down all of our knowledge into a four dummies platform. But then, hey, you know what? Th that's why we have, you know, state cutting 101 and 102. And the next thing you know is you've got a PhD in state cutting and it's a gradual journey. So as you go through whatever your service offering is, whatever your knowledge is, how much help that you're willing to give, just remember how long it took you to get there and then don't unload that on your clients all at the same time. Yeah, that's a really great point, Austin. It's a good analogy. I like it. And you would pay that butcher that knows what he's doing, you would pay more, right? Because there's nothing worse than I've, I've been there because we, we butcher a lot of our own beef and game and uh, other animals and hogs, whatnot. And we've had times where you, you get this cut of steak and it's like, you want a little bit of fat on your steak, right? Cause you need that fat to be able to, to melt in and, and keep the steak nice and moist and uh, juicy, but yet too much fat and you're just chewing on grizzle, right? Nobody likes that. And so, um, you know, you would pay, you would pay a butcher uh, more for their expertise, right? I would. And uh, their expertise also builds on that customer journey, right? If you go into your butcher and let's say you're getting a hog cut up and you go in to pick it up and he just hands you a Rubbermaid tote full of meat and says, here you go. Is okay. Is that what you asked for? Yeah, it is. But are you going to go back there? Eh, maybe not. Right. It, it doesn't matter how beautifully everything is trimmed or how close it is. Or, you know, uh, if he managed to pick all the little chunks of bone out of your hamburger before he ground it, you're probably not going to go back there. But the guy that goes through and takes the extra step 
that he's going to wrap everything in plastic and then wrap everything in clean white paper and then stamp it and label it and date it. And then maybe he goes through and he flash freezes it for you and puts it in boxes so that the day that you go to pick it up, all you have to do is grab a couple of boxes and take them home and drop them in your freezer. You're probably going to pay a little less attention to the cut. And so there's a give and a take as there is with everything. But to go through and have all that, the more confident you are in what you're offering and where you're offering and when you're offering that, the more flexibility you have with how you can tailor that to the customer experience. Absolutely. So yeah, guys, don't be, don't lack confidence in your pricing, right? Nobody wins in a race to the bottom. People covet things more when they pay more for it, right? If, if, if they're paying more for something, they are expecting to get more out of it. And as long as you can deliver on that, you should. So, Hey, Austin, uh, I was going to ask you for final thoughts, but we're, we're running short on time. And so I'm thinking, because one of the things that we wanted to actually talk about, we haven't even touched on it yet. We wanted to talk about in this episode, talking about the customer journey, customer experience is our experience that we had here just recently when we were up at our cabin retreat together and how that all ties into this whole thing. Because one of the things that you mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, when you talked about Arby's especially, is how you related Arby's to a a memory and an emotion. There is that connection there. And so let's just talk real quick, instead of doing final thoughts, let's just talk real quick about that experience we had up at the Airbnb cabin and why that was so impactful that we wanted to actually do an episode about this. All right. So I'm going to start that off by quoting you. Why are hotels even a thing anymore? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So here's this Airbnb. It is a three quarter of a million dollar house that was purpose built to be an Airbnb. And what that gets you is three bedroom, two bath, full kitchen, two patios, a single car garage that they turned into a game room. I mean, considering where we were up in the mountains and that it was a new build, I'm not at all surprised that it was $750,000. And they didn't change anything to make it purpose built to be an Airbnb. It's just, they laid it out and they included everything. And what it looks like is somebody came in and they lived at this place and then they just left one day and everything was spotless. Did you forget toothbrush? It's there. Do you need Q-tips? It's there. How do you take your coffee? Doesn't matter. They got you covered. That There were literally seven different coffee makers at this place. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want uh, there was slow drip, machine. French press, espresso, what standard coffee pot, didn't matter. Yeah. It everything. Yeah. Um, including the coffee you could, that you could use. Including like six the coffee. different varieties. Yeah. Uh, I've never gone to a place before that you open the fridge and it's stocked with vitamin water and regular water and butter and condiments. And I mean, silverware, every, literally every single thing that you could think of that you might need on a trip was there. They had every style of phone charger in every room of the house. You never had to hunt for anything. All of their paid subscriptions. If it was a streaming service, it was there. Uh, There was Spotify premium. There was everything that you could ask for. And if they didn't have it, they would make the 20 minute drive to come out into the mountains and bring it to you. And all of this for what, a hundred, $153 a night. 
Yeah, I mean, we got it. It was off season technically, so we got it for half off, which was like 150 bucks a night. Um, but yeah, I mean, you go to a hotel. I mean, even in like the not best part of the city or wherever, you're, you're going to pay at least two two fifty a night, right? And I'm like, man, we got this whole house for 150 bucks a night. And Austin's right. I mean, they literally thought of everything and Austin didn't even finish listing everything. I mean, it was just, they, they thought of every single part of the customer experience. I mean, they even had, there were three different grills. Okay. There was a pellet smoker, a propane grill, and there was a flat top grill. And they even left us with like four bags of pellets so that we could choose which kinds of pellets we wanted to use in the pellet smoker. Okay. And it was all complimentary. There was even, they had a wine refrigerator in the kitchen and you were allowed to take two complimentary bottles of wine. There was a beer refrigerator in the game room along with the ping pong table and TVs and music and other games. And it was fully stocked. I mean, there was at least two cases of microbrew beer in this refrigerator and it was all complimentary. You could have as much of it as you want. And I said to Austin at one point, I'm like, if we drank all their beer and wine and used all of their other stuff that they had here, that's complimentary. How do they even make any money off of this? But they, the, Oh, and there was, Oh my gosh, this was so cool in the bathrooms, the ceiling fans for the, for like when you're taking a shower, you could, they had Bluetooth speakers built into it so that you could sync to your phone and play your playlist through the, the ceiling fan in the bathroom. So like, as soon as you flip on the switch, if you already synced your phone, you flip on the switch to the fan and it automatically connects to your phone and starts your playlist. And I'm like, this is so cool. Anyway, uh, it, it was absolutely incredible. And, and not only that, but the, the host reached out to me, like when we got there and said, Hey, I'm only 20 minutes away. If you need anything, you let me know. And he was available. He was responsive. When we, we told on one of the previous episodes about our, our shenanigans and experience with the car charger and, or I'm sorry, the self, the, the laptop, no, no. the laptop no. so charger. That, yeah. I'm, I'm going to interrupt real quick. Yeah. For everybody who heard that other episode and heard about sledding and Will and Nelson and all that, this Airbnb typically included a tire pump for your car and a battery pack that had uh, unfortunately gone home with the last guest. But yeah, they thought about what would happen if you left your dome light on as you were unpacking right. and they provided the solution to it. Yeah. Yep. Cause they probably knew that uh, Teller County's finest uh, down the road wasn't going to help anybody. Um, <laughs> okay. We got to stop giving him grief in his defense. I used to work graveyards for several years and I was pretty grouchy with people during the day when they would come ring my doorbell too. So I'll give him a pass because I think he was probably working night shift. But still, I, anyway, we'll move on from that. All right. So here's the thing I want to leave you guys with because we are way out of time here. But I hope you enjoy this episode. I want you to be thinking about your customer journey, your customer experience, and making that shift from customer service to customer experience. Okay. So ask yourself this question right now, as you're listening to the episode, what can I begin to implement today to improve our customer experience, our onboarding process and our customer journey? Okay. Think about that question. 
make some notes and start mapping out your own customer journey, just like I explained here earlier in the show. And I guess that's it. Austin, thank you. Let's say peace out. We'll catch you on the next episode. Adios. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leo2ceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other copreneurs like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.